I spoke at this conference in Germany a couple of years ago, and it was this, two years ago, it was this kind of evangelical church that was going on this journey to kind of open up to the Spirit. Um, and so they had this worship night, a bit foreign for them, so big auditorium, there's like 600 people there, so they put the chairs at the back, left a whole lot of space at the front, and everyone, and they brought in this big band from Germany, and they're just standing around, uh, and they started mellow, because that's where the people are, and they're slowly kind of building up to some praise, sorry, this is sharing for you, and, and I was standing there back watching, and then suddenly over on the left, I saw this little angel just dancing like incredible, just fully into it kind of dancing amongst all of these people and and then I saw there was a young woman from the team over on the right and she 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 was dancing kind of like the angel um and um and I went up to her afterwards and I said I think you were mirroring heaven what heaven was doing but then the first thought I when I, I saw the angel and the girl it was like Oh, that's what it means when it says David danced before the Lord with all that. And that's why that unrestrained joy. And then I was like, I don't know if I really do that. (laughs) Uh, And uh, if you would seen my dancing moves last night, you'd be well aware of that. But I love the thought of them. What an incredible, I love how God compliments the the joy, the breadth, the thing, and the call to depth. And... um, um, yeah, man, what an honor to serve you, to serve you too. And you are just, um, it's such a privilege and such a privilege to watch what God's doing here. So thanks so much. Hey, um, it's Monday, mo- it's Monday, eh? It's Monday, yeah, I got work tomorrow. We got work tomorrow. Um, yeah, uh, and um, Easter, actually, if you read the accounts, yeah, there's Good Friday, there's Thursday, Good Friday, the Saturday, Sunday. But all of the gospel accounts finish with a sense of commission, and so I thought it was really appropriate that we do that we are having a Sunday Monday morning session, uh, and and uh, I know we're all tired, looking forward to those showers, own bed and stuff. But but this like the gospels all finished like not just with Jesus, yeah, I'm risen, but with the sense of hey, now I commission you, go and make a difference in your world. Hey, the Holy Spirit's about to come upon you, and you're going to go and change the world. You're going to be sent the way that I was sent. And so I think this is a significant morning. So I hope you can just kind of take a big breath for a few minutes and go, okay, this is actually where Easter lands and, and, the, and all that preparation. So I want to talk about it in the sense of opportunity. And I pray that you leave this place wearing the lenses of there's a whole lot of opportunities out there for you to make a difference in light of this Easter message. That actually, it becomes a lens, it becomes a framework, it becomes a way of thinking, and even becomes an anointing. You walk into your world expecting doors to open, expecting opportunities to come your way because of Easter. And and that is a bit of a difficult message, right? It's been a crazy year, right? Like seriously, COVID once in a hundred year, lockdown, no church, online, no one knew about Zoom this time last year. And um, man, why couldn't you prophets tell us there's this little company, <laughs> buy some shares now. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, one job. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but, um, but like what a crazy year. We've got friends planning a church in, in Mexico. They're like, Message emailed, who would have thought it's starting our second year of no services? And it's like, oh, God, guys in England, the similar Germany. And you're just like, what a crazy year. And to, and like, oh, who come up with a church planning strategy? Hey, in your third year, just lock down and don't do anything. It's like, 
Oh, great. But, um, but, but to acknowledge, man, it can, it can feel a bit overwhelming. And, just, and, and for me, a real sense, not just that, but there's wider political things going on internationally that can just feel a bit scary. The Brexit stuff in Europe, the Trump, America stuff. If you have friends in America, it's like how disruptive as opposed to a fantastic. Yeah, Trump, America, it can feel a bit crazy. And if you read even stuff that's happening with China and Russia, it can feel a bit scary out there. And, and, and even, I don't know how you feel. Some of the political changes in New Zealand, some of the law changes, it can feel like, man, we're, we're kind of losing ground here. Some of the issues, like, I don't know if, I've, if I'm up for helping this next generation wrestle with issues of gender and sexuality and uh, Christian. It's just, it can just feel a bit overwhelming. And a bit like, I think I'm done. Like, it's all just got a bit hard and a bit scary, and, I, and I'll just dial it back. And, um, and uh, there's, this, um, there's this sentence, a famous quote. It originally comes from John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, with his um, uh, presidential campaigns in 1959-60. When written in Chinese, the word crisis is composed of two characters. One represents danger and the other represents opportunity. And I feel like we're at this moment where you can either just kind of go, it's too hard, it's too dark, it's too, it's too overwhelming. Or you can go, we live at this moment when actually there are some new opportunities for us. And I feel like God really wants us to carry a spirit of opportunity and not a spirit like it's just all dark and overwhelming and let's just wait till we get our rapture out of this terrible place as it goes under. It's like, no, no, there's opportunity. And, and I think that, uh, but, so this is a famous quote get, that gets used in a number of management things. Unfortunately, what linguists have said, it's not quite right. But it's a nice idea. That's why they say it last. But they say, the, but I actually think there's something more powerful. They say this, the Chinese word for crisis is in Western popular culture, frequently but incorrectly said to be composed of those two characters signifying danger and opportunity. The second character is a component of the Chinese word for opportunity, but has multiple meanings, and in isolation means something more like change points. And I love that thought. We stand at a change point, and I can either be overwhelmed with the danger ahead. Man, where's our country going? Where's the world going? What are we? Where's the church going? Or I can acknowledge I stand at a change point and almost go, but I'm, con- I'm convinced, and I want to give you a biblical basis why you should be convinced that there are fresh opportunities out there. And I pray that this church, had kind of that theme of hope, I expect that we're going to flourish. I expect new doors of opportunity are going to open. I expect we're going to find new ways of doing discipleship and ministry and worship. I expect that we're going to find new ways to reach our city. And, and, and it's not a naive thing, but it's a sense like, man, we stand at a point of change. I, I had to look this up in the dictionary. One of the things it says, it means incipient. It's beginning to happen. Change is beginning. Change is beginning. And either as a church, we pull back and go, oh, that's all dangerous. Or we go, no, there's opportunity. Once you understand that, you realize the danger is not of the change. The danger is that we refuse to step in and see it as opportunity. And it's like, man, as Bay Vineyard, with everything going on in this city, this region, this nation, the West, the world, that there to go, man, the danger is actually that we don't step into this new moment. And, and, and the danger is that we don't embrace 
these new opportunities. And we don't see through the eyes of opportunity. And I'd love for us to finish with this thinking about opportunity. Because the only other option is there's a famous story uh, in the Old Testament, Hezekiah. Isaiah comes to him with this prophecy. Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up and will be carried off. Nothing will be left. Some of your descendants, your flesh and your blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they'll become eunuchs. Terrible word. There's terrible time coming. You're going to lose your inheritance. Everything that you've built is about to end. And here's this amazing response. Here's a guy. The word of the Lord you've spoken is good. So that's okay. Why? Oh, because he thought, will there not be peace and security? Oh, I'm okay. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. But as long as I can okay and just leave that, it's okay. And it's like, man, that's a, there's, that is not the attitude. Man, if New Zealand's going down the tubes, that we have the highest, you know, teenage suicide rate in the OECD, that um, domestic violence of, you know, the, the fruit of cultural oppression, all that kind of stuff, evangelism, right? You can either look at that and go, well, we're, we're doing our nice little, we quite like the 70s vineyard worship or the 90s Toronto. As long as we can stay in our little, as long as we can do that, it's, it's okay. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to do this. And it's like, no, something's got to go, man, there's an opportunity to impact that world. I stand at this point of a change, and I've got to choose to step into that world, believe and convince that there are opportunities to make a difference. And, and, and that's how the Easter story ends, with a sense of commission into our world, not the nostalgic memory of the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or the zeros, but into 2021 with all of its complexity, all of, the, all of the difficulties of trying to be a follower of Jesus in this world. Man, I run a small group with a bunch of young of dads, and they're like, man, how do I, you know, my eight-year-old and nine-year-old are talking about gender and which gender they think they are. It's like, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't sign up to try and disciple people to how to disciple their eight-year-olds about gender. Welcome to following Jesus in 2021. And, 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 and cultural issues and Black Lives Matter and now Asian racism. And, and, and it's like, it can just feel like, ah, it's too big. It's too hard. And I think that, and, and, and there's really a defining moment. We stand at that defining crossroads. There's a moment of change. Yeah, there's danger, but there is an opportunity. And the actual danger is that I don't walk into that moment. And I really want to pray that we finish the, today and finish this camp with a sense of commission. Hey, man, we're going to go into Napier. We're going to go into the bay and we're going to make a difference. And we confidently expect there are going to be doors of opportunity for us to make a difference. Um, just to, the globally kind of business strategy, people are wrestling with us. So there's a, there's a famous church consultant guy. He's like, oh, yeah, in the past people made five-year strategic plans. He's like, who cares? We don't know what we're doing next week. And so he's talked about this being able to pivot. And I love this. He talked about this change from things as obstacles to opportunities, from hesitance to confidence, from adaptation to innovation. And this mindset that, you know, like we're part of a church in Auckland that probably has 3,000 people across four campuses, but the main city campus, 2,000 people. We don't have a venue. So 2019, there was a period of, I think, 30 
like 33 weeks where we move 26 times. It's a nightmare. We get a text every Saturday saying where we're having church tomorrow. And, and, but the, the pastor's got to this point like, there's an obstacle. We cannot find a central city venue. He's like, well, there's an opportunity for us to plant more campuses then. And it's this mindset that expects to find opportunities rather than seeing obstacles, rather than hesitant, oh, I don't know what to do because we can't find a venue. No, no, a confidence. There's a weight to our culture that we can replicate this. We know how to do this. We can plot this. And, and from adaptation, well, we'll make do for now to innovation. No, there's another way to do this. And it's like, oh, man, there's people all around the world are wrestling with this thing. How do we turn, how do we create a mindset that sees opportunity? Uh, this is a bit wordy, but this guy, Kerry New, have talked about three kinds of leaders and organizations. And we all lead something, at the very least, your own life. And uh, now the bees come to replace the um, bird. But, okay, who's scared of bees? Okay, <laughs> just stay over there. Um, but, but I love this he talked about. And so you, you might not be leading an organization, but you're leading your life. You're leading your marriage. You're leading your family. And he talks about there's people who are frozen like that. I don't know what to do. And their organizations are failing. Why? Because they're inflexible. They cling to previous methods. And he took the second line down. Every leader has a thought bubble. And he said, the thought bubble in those people is, I can't believe this is happening. This is out of my control. This is not my fault. And, and people who are paralyzed, ah, oh, well, we've got this government and they've brought in these laws and COVID's happening and da da da, da and I'm frozen. It's like, no, we can't afford to think frozen. But he talks about people who are hesitant. Yeah, they're surviving, they adapt, but they're not, not fully. They basically spend their energy thinking about what used to be and trying to think of ways to recreate it. So focus on maintenance. So again, down the bottom, the mindset. When are things getting back to normal? We'll make it to the other side. We'll, we'll adapt. And for me, that was the difference between adaptation and innovation. Adaptation is, okay, we'll, we'll do this now until we can get back. And it's like, no, unfortunately, the change is a bit more radical than that. And then his final one is agile leaders who are thriving, who focus on what we can do, not what we can't do. And... Um, and just down the bottom, their, their thought is this. Our mission is too important to let these outdated methods kill it. Is there a better approach? And I love how, you know, um, this church has come with this thing. Man, we're going to create depth. We're going to create love and joy. We're going to create a culture. We're going to do things differently because the mission's too important to be stuck in how we did things in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. And it's like... Man, we just have this drive of, um, we can do this. That these guys, we, we arrive in Napier and we're confident God can do this. There's an opportunity for a different flavor church in this place and we can do it. And um, I was talking with um, Sam. Tim Keller is a retired now, he's 66, Presbyterian minister. Actually, he's probably coming up to 70 now. He retired when he's 66. He planted a church in downtown New York. No churches were growing. And, and, he, and he wrestled with, how do I actually, I believe there's an opportunity for a significant church here. Other people are like, oh, that's the death, that's the graveyard of ministers. And He's like, no, this is an opportunity, not an obstacle. And he made it work. But he, he recently retired, and he was talking with this guy, Kerry Newoff, and he just reflected back over his ministry. And he, he, the sense of 
people who can handle change and see it as opportunity rather than danger. So he talks about when he started ministry, my parents' generation, whether they're Christians or not, believed the meaning of life was to be good, and the way you preached to them was to deal with their guilt and say, you've never, you're never going to overcome your guilt with moral effort. You're going to have to set for, get forgiveness from Jesus. That is the sort of thing we did. Like, church is the nice people. I've been a bad person. I know what I should really do. I should come to church and get forgiveness and start being good. He's like, that's where I was when I started ministry. He said, it all changed back in the 70s. And he said, time I came to New York, and New York, it was further advanced than the rest of the country. When I got here, the meaning of life was not how to be good. The meaning of life was to be free to discover your true self. Suddenly, churches had all these recovery groups and groups for various dysfunction and stuff because it's all about, I need to experience life. Oh, it wasn't about how to be good. It was how to be experienced. And, and they met that need. But he also challenged it counterculturally. He said, with young people that I came here and that I came to here in New York, basically, I said, you think the meaning of life is to be free, but you're actually not as free as you think you are. You have to live for something. That was the message of the first night. Hey, you want to be free? Serve something humbly, in love, bigger than yourself. Like, so he both connected with their core question, but gave a countercultural answer. And you could all kind of, oh, the glory days of the church have gone, when, and we just got to get back. He's like, no, we got to see this as an opportunity that we step into, and, and he saw a church flourish where nobody said it could flourish. Why? Because he saw it as opportunity, not as danger. He realized there'd been a turning point, and he needed to walk into it. And um, he just... And, and what he says this, today, he says this, today it's actually changed again because there's not that same feeling like I just need to be free to find my inner childhood path. Now the emphasis is not psychological or sociological, it's all about justice. It's all about creating your own self. If I'm saying I'm this, that's who I am, I can do that. And it's all about including marginalized people, marginalized identities. The change was happening just as I was stepping out. And he's being interviewed by this guy, Kerry Newoff, and, he, and Kerry says, so literally the last six years, Tim Keller, yeah, in the last five or six years, and therefore, if I was starting a church now, I'd have to retool again. He's like, you either go, the world's changed. Oh, it's, we're getting, obviously it's the end times. Jesus is about to come again because it's all getting so bad. Or you go, I live on the boundary of a new world and there's an opportunity to step into that world and make a difference. And, and I want to I I pray that you, God opens your eyes. You have opportunities in your world this week, this year to step into some things. And so, just real quickly, better be quickly, how do we think about this biblically? How, how do you think about going, leaving this nice camp of nice Christians singing and having fun and partying, not too many showers, but having a nice time, and, um, and going back to the, your world? And I just want to suggest three, maybe three, I have time, but um, passages to think about. Isaiah 6, famous passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, now he had reigned 52 years. It had been a prosperous time, and it came to an end. His world finished. Okay, and those are those scary moments. And, and in that context, Isaiah has this encounter, and he sees that God is still on the throne, that God is still being worshipped, that somehow, somehow God didn't lose his place when the world changed. 
you know, and he, and he has an sense of encounter with God. You know, an angel picks up a coal, touches his lips, see this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. He's like, man, at, at that moment of ambiguity, at that moment of uncertainty, he has a fresh revelation. No, God's still on the throne. God didn't get voted off the throne in the last election or the Brexit referendum or when some laws got by. No, God's still on the throne. And I've had an encounter, but I love how this thing finishes. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here's the deal. There's a sense that Isaiah's kind of standing in front of God having an encounter. Let me put it this way. There's a sense that here we are, Bay Vineyard Church, having this beautiful moment before God, and God's looking past us back to Napier and going, who's going to go there? Because I'm, I'm wanting to do something there. Who will I send? And, and, and there's this key kind of reason why we should have a framework of opportunity is because God's at work. That's core vineyard value. The Father's, we do what we see. The, the Father's looking back this way. And he's actually saying, who's willing to go? Because with this confidence that the Father's already working there. And, and we haven't got time to look into it, but to, to think, you know, there's some of the, what's Psalm 2, you know, the nations might be raging and conspiring and rebelling, but God has decreed that his son, ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Dad has gone, oh, he's back again. God has decreed, God has said to Jesus, Jesus asked me for Napier because that's what I want to give you. Jesus has gone, Dad, give me Napier. So it's like, you, there must be opportunities, because Dad has promised Jesus Napier. And, and, and then if you go into Psalm 110, the Lord will extend. These are promises from the Father to Jesus. Extend, the Lord will extend. Oh, Jesus, your kingdom is going to keep growing in Napier. It's going to keep growing in the bay. It's, going to keep, it's like, oh, but I can't. I got, by faith, God has promised that. Holy Spirit's got one job, make it happen. And, and, and this is a promise from the Father. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's work. God the Father has promised Jesus every generation there's going to be another wave of people who step up and go, do you know what, God? I get what you're doing. I'm up for it. And... and, and um, and, and here's the evidence. A young couple in Christchurch suddenly, God called them. God's at work. God's doing stuff, which means I assume that there's going to be opportunities. I assume there's going to be places we can move forward. I assume there's going to be breakthrough. Um, we talk about this concept, missio dei, mission. We don't do a mission for God. God is on a mission, and because he's at work out there in Napier and Hastings, we're just getting on board with what he's doing. So I assume at the core of my being, there is going to be opportunities. There is going to be doors that open because the Father's at work. But the second passage is this, Esther chapter 4. If you know the story of Esther, again, there's a moment of danger. Her nation could be wiped out. And, and um, this guy went back, reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. She instructed him to say to Mordecai, and if you know the story, Esther has a position of influence, and Mordecai saying, you've got to act, Esther. And her response is this, all the kings and the officials and the people of the royal provinces know 
that you, there's nothing I can do. I'm frozen. There's nothing I can do. It's against the law to do this in our country. You cannot do these things. We, we're stuck. And, and I love Mordecai's response, which you all know. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. God's purpose will advance. God's purpose will advance in Napier and the Bay in New Zealand. But here's the second reason. And who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows but that these guys were born for this. Who knows that all your journey thus far was to be at this moment. We're in 2021. We just smash. Something, something breaks out. Something flourishes. And so because because God's a God of purpose and destiny, it's like, yeah, he's at work, but, but I sense, man, I was born for this. Something's come together of a group of people at this moment that we could do this. But, but the third passage is the one that I just really want to unpack for a few minutes. So, okay, so you've got Isaiah, God's at work. You've got Esther, there's a sense of personal destiny. This is an incredible passage. Um, let me read it. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region. So he names these regions, which are all in what we call Turkey today. They called it Asia. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bith- Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing there and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. If you know the, the early story of the early church, basically it all happened in Turkey. That was their world. We know how to do ministry in here. We're planning more churches in Turkey. That's where Paul was born. He has a strategy to reach Turkey. But if you know some of the history of the EU, you know that little boundary I can't, around Istanbul, this side, on the other side of that is Europe. It's a boundary not of two continents, it's a boundary of two civilizations. And, and right at the point, it's actually the narrowest little international strait. And I don't know if you can see, they actually call it Asia on that side, Europe on the other side. And at its narrowest, it's 750 meters wide. But it's the gap between two worlds. And, and uh, Paul had ministered there, and at some point there was an invitation, Paul, there's a whole other world out there, and you're familiar with this world, and you've got a strategy to do ministry in this world. But I'm inviting you to see that not as a foreign world, as a scary, I'm inviting you to see it as a world of opportunity. And to come and step. And, and mission these days is normally not about crossing a bit of salty water. It's about stepping into a new cultural moment. And, and I pray Bay Vineyard kind of goes, this is not the New Zealand of five years ago, let alone 20 years ago, let alone 50 years ago. But rather than seeing it as dangerous or closed... I'm going to see it as a whole new world of ministry. And, and here's the point I just want to say. It says, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. Paul had the discernment to know it's not the devil stopping me. It's not the government stopping me. The Spirit is actually saying it's time to go to a new place. 
It's time to step into a new world. A lot of us have had incredible memories of seasons of church life or ministry, and it's time to kind of go, that was good, but I'm being invited to step into a new world of opportunity, not of danger. And, um, and, and this is the part, I've never really thought about this before. If Isaiah is a sense God's out there, if, if Esther is a sense of my destiny is out there, this was Paul's vision, a vision of a man of Macedonia, that's an area in Greece, standing there, begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is all by faith. God's at work out there. My destiny lies out there. Oh, but I don't know. I mean, we, just if you could catch this for a minute, that whatever it looks like that people don't care about God, they're not interested. Actually, in the spirit, there's a cry out of the people of the land. Come and help us. We don't know what to do. Our kids are uh, are, uh, harming and committing suicide. Our our women are being beaten in domestic violence. We're struggling with stuff. And in the spirit, it's actually the people of the land crying, come and help us. And in the spirit, that, that, that there's a cry out of the people of the bay, Bay Vineyard, come and help us. Come over, cross over into our world. Don't stay in what you, would you come into our world and help us? And, and I'm, and actually the, begging them, please, Bay Vineyard. This is in the spirit. This is not what they're saying, but in the spirit, begging you, you have the answer. Please come and help us. And so I expect to encounter opportunities because God's at work, because my destiny is there, but also because there's a cry from the people of the land, hey, come and help us. I wonder if you could look back towards nature in your Hastings and go, there's a cry from people begging you, come into our schools, come into our suburbs, please help us. Please help us. Come into our marais. Come into our justice departments. Come into the hospital wards. Come into the preschools. Please come and help us. And so there has to be a sense. There must be opportunity because God's at work, because my destiny's out there. I was born for this moment, and there's a cry from the people for help. Um, And I love, so when they eventually cross over, it's just this little line. On the Sabbath, we went out the city gate to a river, where we expected to find. I expect to find people looking for God. I expect to find opportunities to serve. I expect to find people who are open. Not everyone, but, I, but Paul expected because he knew God was at work. He knew he had a destiny and a calling and a commissioning, and he knew there was a cry from the people of the land for the gospel, even if they couldn't articulate that. I, I implore you, let God give you that kind of the, the lenses of opportunity, the spirit of opportunity. Uh, I'd love just to, um, can I just finish with one more thing, uh, which is an, the other reason why you should have total confidence. We've looked at this passage with Jesus from Isaiah 61, and we often rush on, yeah, this is the incredible things God wants to do. Proclaim good news. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of the sight. 
But we, we leave out the first two lines. And Jesus basically stood up and said, what's my confidence? He said, God's all over me. And I just had this word, um, just we're sitting at the start of the worship, just this word contain, that you're a container for the anointing of God. And so because of that, I expect stuff to happen. And Jesus is like, God is just dripping off me. That's why all that credible stuff, because I'm dripping with God. I, I'm dripping with the presence of God. And that's why these beautiful things are going to break out in people's lives. And it's not language that we often use of Jesus, but as a human being, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil. Why? Because God was all over him. And my ultimate opportunity is I walk back into Napier Hastings going, God's all over me. So wherever I go, good things are just going to drip off my life onto people's lives. There's going to be opportunities for beautiful things to happen. All I claim to be is a container of the treasure of his presence. And that's my confidence. You know, and so one of the commissions, Matthew, uh, Mark, John have a sense of commission. Luke, because he bridges to Acts, has this thing, no, wait, wait for the power. Wait till you know, man, I, I, I believe God's at work. I believe I have a destiny. I believe there's a call in the spirit. But actually, I go back into this week dripping with the presence of God, that I contain the presence of God. Just quickly, um, this is the, the, they basically anointed kings in the Old Testament. Maybe, is there a keyboard story? Can I get you to play that? And we're just going to pray in a minute. The anointing ritual gave the new king the legal right to rule over Israel. It was done using a special vessel, a horn that was kept in the temple, using olive oil mixed with spices, myrrh, cinnamon, calamus, etc., which was poured over the king's head with an appointed form of words. The anointing form anointing formed the first part of the coronation ceremony. So if you'd seen the king, you would have gone, oh yeah, he's got the authority, he's got the mandate. Oh yeah, there's his throne. He, he's got a commission. But you would have seen he's dripping in something. It's running off him. You can see it dripping off him. And if you get close to him and touch him, you're going to get it on your hands. And he's not just commissioned. He's not even just mandate. He's anointed. He's dripping with something. And I just feel like God really wants to kind of go, that your confidence, I contain the anointing oil of God on my life. That, that's what I'm taking. You know, and, and it's a complex thing. And, and they go on to say, the anointing signified co- communication of kabod, which is the Hebrew word for glory. You carry something of the glory of God. So when it touches broken people, they find wholeness. When it touches uh, people in, in captivity, they step into freedom. When it touches blind eyes, they open. When it touches people in poverty, they find good news. It's like, Jesus is like, I'm just dripping in this stuff. It's the glory of God. And when it touches a lost and broken world who's begging you for help, something glorious happens. Just to show it's not one random guy, another famous anointing by Yahweh himself as a conferring of kabod or glory. And I, I just love the fact, just quickly for Psalm 45, yeah, your throne will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. It talks about the king you love, righteousness, hate, wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you. There's lots of great social agencies in the Bay, I'm sure. There's lots of therapy groups and self-help groups. What makes you different? The oil. I'm a container 
for the oil of God, that the glory of God drips off my life. Not claiming to be the smartest, not claiming to be the cleverest, not claiming to be the best, but this is what I know. When I put my hand on you, it's going to leave a stain of oil. And that's, that's what I take back into this week. And, and um, just to finish with this, when they made the oil, this was for the literal oil. And I just want you to get the sense of extravagance to what's on you. The Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, a hint of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be a sacred anointing oil. What you carry is not some mechanic with his 1040 oil for the car. You carry a unique blend of, notice the common fragrant, diverse, multiple layers oh, of dance, of depth, of breadth, of love and joy and, 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 and deep discipleship, of, of a heart to care for people. Of a, like you carry, the, and it's like, oh, sometimes I sense that fragrance, like on the prophetic, oh, there's a fragrance. Oh, that was a moment of declaration. Oh, but then there were moments of gentle. It's like, man, just a diverse, fragrant presence. I can feel, I can sense the, like the cloud of his presence starting to be here. It's like on your life, and a heavenly perfumer has constructed a unique blend of the oil on your life. Oh, there's that part that's kind of a bit of an evangelist, but then there's a bit of a pastor. Then they love worship, and then they love art. You're the work of a divine perfumer. You're a container for a precious fragrant oil that's unique that nobody else has. 